Hello, and welcome to Potter Not, a podcast for new and returning readers with conflicted Harry Potter feelings. I am Zoe, my pronouns are she, her, and I am a jaded fan. I am E, my pronouns are she, they, and I am a grumpy fan. Hey. And I'm Adela, my pronouns are she, her, and I am a tired and impatient fan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because this week we will dive into the good and bad of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, chapters 31 through 33, the first task, flesh, blood, and bone, and the Death Eaters, aka the first half of the climax. <laughs> uh-huh. So, real frustrating set of chapters to have as a section that I won't return to until two weeks from now. Yeah. But also, there's there's so much to talk about, but there's just also so little to talk about. Lots of a villain speech, and that's basically it. Yeah, yeah, like, I'm sure that you two could talk about a lot right now, but because I am on this podcast, <laughs> we can't do anything until we know, like, the rest we should do our a plot b plot c plot this is yeah. finally finally a set of chapters that is mostly a plot i was gonna say i don't feel like there's any like digression from the main like there's only one there it's a single track set of chapters yeah, pretty much the whole third task chapter that is just spending time until we can get to the climax yes yeah the maze is the b plot right Crumb, mm-hmm. floor, the spells Harry casts, the things he runs into. That's yeah. B-plot in service of getting to the rest of the A-plot, which is everything else. C-plot is Hermione's mystery trip to the library. <laughs> very yes, tiny, C-plot. very, very, very tiny C-plot. Yeah. That's true. So, E. <laughs> uh-huh. You have graciously live-blogged your reading of this for us. Uh-huh. Any overall? Yeah. Do you have any overall thoughts? I am, and I may revise this opinion once the book finishes, but right now I am very disgruntled with how the author has handled the A-plot of this book. Mm. Because it doesn't feel like there were any stakes at any point up until the first sentence of the Flesh, Blood, and Bone chapter. It just turned on a dime. And sometimes that works, like, tonally. But I don't think this book supports that tone shift. You didn't find that, like, the the crumb attacking Cedric introduced any danger? I mean, okay, yeah, maybe that's where it, it starts. But, like... Okay. Okay, that makes sense. From chapter one, which has a great vibe. Like, the beginning of this book, very solid. Yeah. And then we go back to, like very, very little is happening for, like, eight months. (laughs) And now we've just suddenly slam-dunked into this again. And it's just like, what was the middle of this book doing? Welcome to the structure of a Harry Potter book. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I don't know if it's just because this is the fourth one of these, and I was expecting more based on how strong the beginning was. Right. Fair. I mean, I, I would have to go back and, like, sort of track out how I felt about book three at each point to see like if the ending of book three is supported by the middle part of it, which I feel like it was, but I don't know. I think we all felt that book three flowed well, but I think that that's partly because it was a mystery. Yeah. In a way that this book isn't, right? You're talking about there's no stakes, 
I mean, like, yeah, there's stakes with the tasks, but... The stake is, like, this random person disappears who none of the major characters know at the beginning of the book. And then that's supposed to pay off when Voldemort explains it in this chapter. Like, I never cared about Bertha Jorkins. (laughs) (laughs) Who is that? Like, what? You never gave me any stakes for this. That's true. Like, you didn't even introduce a character who knew her. It's like we've been talking about for the last few episodes that this is a poor attempt at a mystery where only if you've already read it do you see how everything connects to the ending. Yeah. Like, I I compared it to book two. I think this is... this. I don't know how I'm going to feel about the book as a package but certainly this a plot is going to rank i think lower than book two for me Mm, wow just in terms of like plot handling that's fair it feels very unsupported i feel like we've touched on this before adela and i especially because we are very excited to get to the end of this book for a variety of reasons but Uh i think that you are not being well served by reading this book very slowly in a way that you yeah that it is, is fine to read the other books slowly. I'm not sure it's fine to read this one slowly. That is definitely true. Yeah. This book is not served by looking at each chapter individually. It is definitely a whole mystery that you read as an entire mystery all at once, preferably in one sitting so you don't have to sit with it for very long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely not be nearly as grumpy about this if it hadn't been like an eight-month project reading it. I know we'll talk about this when we finish the book, but I feel like what you're talking about, like the, the A-plot being weaker than earlier books. And then I think one of the reasons why I like this book more is because the characters are stronger than they were in the earlier books for sure like it's wild how separate the two halves of this story feel Mm -hmm. the tournament stuff and the character stuff and all of what's happening at hogwarts and then this the voldemort plot yeah do not feel connected i mean obviously they are yeah but i also think that that's something you should get used to Like Harry's internal struggle with Voldemort and the sort of what happens in the real world outside of school being disconnected from what's happening within Hogwarts is something that I think actually plays really, really well in books five and six. Yeah, it is a purpose. It is not an accidental thing that that is the case. Yeah. (laughs) And I think this is a good introduction to that feeling, but maybe not a great example of it. That makes sense. I mean- because it's only happening now in this book, like this is where this is where it's starting. It feels really disjointed. It's nominally connected, even because like we get him talking to Sirius about it. We get him talking to Dumbledore about it. They don't see any connection with the tournament other than like somebody put his name in the goblet, but we right. don't know who it is, and that's it. Yeah, until we get to this moment, right, and we discover that like. It turns out that Voldemort orchestrated that. Which I think was pretty clearly implied. Right. Yes. Like, I don't think there was an alternative. Not really. The book didn't give a red herring for that. Like, it was just like, yeah, yeah, this is the logical conclusion. Like, people want Harry dead and therefore he's in the tournament, which is a dangerous thing. Like, up to this chapter, the book is still hedging on whether the agent was Snape or Karkaroff or someone else. Mm-hmm. And now we know it's 
someone unnamed because yeah. Voldemort yeah, wants to be mysterious in his villain speeches. <laughs> yeah. Mysterious about this specific one thing, but I will tell you all of the details about every other thing. Every other person who's missing from this circle, yes. <laughs> I have a lot of problems. <laughs> should we should we start with the first chapter then? Yeah, the third task. This is the fun chapter, right? Like for all of its issues, this is a cool chapter where we get yeah. to see Harry like flexing his muscles. This yes. is the Harry goes through an obstacle course to achieve a goal chapter. Yeah. This is the this is the climax of the first book chapter. Yes. Yeah. And this is one of those chapters where like this is the shit that I love. Right? This is written in the same way that she writes Quidditch. I really like it. And this is this first chapter, the first task is or the third task rather. It's long. Of the chapter chunk that we read, it's over half. Yeah, because there's like, there's a lot of lead up to the task itself. Yeah. Yes. And then Flesh, Blood, and Bone is like six pages and is one of the most important chapters in the entire series. Yeah, it's just one scene. Like, action scene. Yeah. yeah. And then the Death Eaters is just monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, important, but monologue. I guess let's start at the top of the third task. Hermione's uh, revelation and spontaneous trip to the library that we alluded to before. Yes. And the the Skeeter article, right? Does this Skeeter article do anything or is this just yes, another? Yes, this is later. Okay. This has to do with Hermione well, running to the library. It, it makes them have a conversation, which leads to Hermione having a revelation that we will learn about later. But right. other than that, it's just... It's just another excuse for Malfoy to make fun of Harry. Yes, and it is also, you should get used to reading newspaper-style articles in these chapters now. Yeah. There was, like, a few here and there in this book. Books five through seven, there are, so many. like, so, and, like, long chunks. Hmm. Interesting. I find it very frustrating. I will just put that out now. I, I imagine that I also will. Yeah, I don't, I don't love it, but it's, it does its job, is what I'll say. The job being world building about what's happening outside the school. Yes. Yeah. And not, I'm going to say lazy, but I'm going to revise that. I don't actually think that this kind of thing is lazy because, I mean, it's a whole different style of writing that you have to like display and show as if you're writing from a different character's perspective. There are some interesting aspects to it. It's just not my favorite thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's uh, codex entries in a video game, right? It's like. It's lore. It's lore. Except in this case, you have to read it. Yeah. You can't skip it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I ever mind, minded it in the first read, but then always rereading it, I would always skim through those parts. But Same. Anyway, the Weasleys show up. It's cute that the Weasleys show up. The Weasleys, specifically Mrs. Weasley and Bill. Because Arthur Weasley is working and Charlie is working and, and Percy is very overworked. I was surprised that Arthur did not come. I assume he's just at work. I feel like he would have taken time off for this. That's but... a, do wizards get paid time off? Yeah. <laughs> Is there PTO for the workers, the civil servants of the I would imagine not. Yeah, probably not. Mm. This feels like it would have been a ministry holiday. That's actually now that you're saying that, like they put this together and it took so much work and they're not gonna Right. Like why why is this not a also, maybe they need some security. Just a thought. 
this is cute though, right? Like Mrs. Weasley and Bill showing up to support Harry as Harry his being like not going until the last minute because he doesn't think anyone will be there. Like this is cute. Did they have to clear this with Dumbledore or someone to be like? I imagine that McGonagall or Dumbledore contacted them. Yeah, it's very nice. But also, Bill is being admired. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, By both Fleur and Harry. <laughs> yes. Uh huh. Yes. Uh, so true. God, I wish Fleur did literally anything in this chapter. I know. Fleur Delacour, Harry noticed, was eyeing Bill with great interest over his mother's shoulder. Harry could tell she had no objection whatsoever to long hair or earrings with fangs on them. Yeah, Harry doesn't have any objections either. Nope. <laughs> He's fine with that. Uh, but then we have the interaction between Hermione and Mrs. Weasley. Okay, so when we were talking about one or two episodes ago, wherever, the Hermione read a skater article, mm-hmm. both of you described to me this interaction. Yes. And I was not prepared for it. Yeah, because it's bad. It's nothing. They just sit down at the table. Mrs. Weasley gives like a nasty look to Hermione and Harry's like, she's not my girlfriend. And that's it. And then Mrs. Weasley is nice to her. There's no apology. There's no acknowledgement. There's, There's no, no closure. reaction from Hermione. There's no like... Yeah. That's bizarre. Also... Not to, like, read into this too much, but why would Harry saying she's not my girlfriend have even worked? Because that's part of the point of the article. The article was saying, hey, this this girl is two-timing Harry. I think that was him. He was saying that because of the earlier article that said that she was his girlfriend, which yeah, is what I think this what article is building off of. what he intends to convey is she was never my girlfriend. Yeah. Like, that was made up. It's just, I, mm. I do want to give a shout out to, shout out is maybe the wrong word, um, Amos Diggory. <laughs> um, it, his son dies in this chapter and he's here yeah. in the audience, right? Like, this is not a spoiler. He's going to find out. I think in the movie, there's a lot to, to dislike about the end of how it's portrayed. But I think that actually Amos's reaction is very good. Yes. And it's awful that the last thing we see and like I would assume Cedric is probably pretty annoyed mm-hmm. with his dad before the tournament or before the task and even going into the task he's probably still annoyed with him which is kind of a really sad way to leave it in general I feel bad for this character in a lot of different ways anyway now that we've gotten that depressing this tidbit out of the way <laughs> let's talk about some more no let's talk about the sphinx um <laughs> let's talk about the task yes. so I did yeah. out of just so that you can see what they look like um, we're in the uh, section of the book with really, really great chapter art. Um, so I did put all three, and we'll put any one of the ones that we talk about into the tweet for this episode. And the first one for the third task is the Sphinx. Yeah. I just want to back up like two seconds and say, I think yes. the setup of this task is wild. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like task number two, the... The audience sees nothing. The audience is not observing the task. Neither are the judges. I think they are meant to. So I think the stands are meant to be elevated enough that you can see into the hedges. Mm, Perhaps. You might be able to see glimpses. The tap out mechanism of just like throw some sparks in the air and then we'll come get you makes me think that without that, they would have no idea what's going on. Mm, Fair. And this time they don't have like more people to tell the story. 
die and can't send sparks up. Also, what is the point in putting red luminous stars on top of people's hats if one of those people is Flitwick? Unless his hat is taller the than is like another person. Twenty foot hedge. Yeah, none of them are going to be able to be seen. Which even Hagrid's back is is, yeah. is a it's a choice. Uh, Fleur is nothing. Bagman at the beginning announces how many points Harry and Cedric have, and then how many points Crumb has, and is just like, and Fleur's last. Yep. And then we hear her scream, and then that's yeah. all she does. Assuming in this that she was attacked by Crumb. Yes. Tied in first place with 85 points each. Mr. Cedric Diggory and Mr. Harry Potter, both of Hogwarts School. Cheers and applause. In second place with 80 points, Mr. Victor Crumb of Durmstrang Institute. More applause. And in third place, Miss Fleur Delacour of Bowbatten Academy. Also, that's not generally how uh, placings work when someone is tied. But yeah, Crumb would be in third maybe place. Maybe first place, third place, fourth place, but. Yes. Yes. For a second, I didn't know what you mean, but that's absolutely true. They generally skip second if there's two people tied in first. Harry explodes a bogger. So this does <laughs> happen in book three, but after a long lead up of a lot of students using ridiculous on it. I think we're just supposed to assume that Harry is more powerful now. And because the bogger was already taken aback with the Patronus. Yeah. That's why that happened, and Harry was not at all afraid of it. Also, spells can be deflected by hard objects? Can be deflected, yes. This is actually something that comes back. Okay. That is weird to me, that they can be physically shielded against with, like, just regular objects. There are many scenes of people hiding behind things to avoid spells in the future, so... Hmm. That's a choice. I mean, it's not even like they're casting physical, like, harm spells they're casting like psychic stuff still has to hit you though i guess i'm not saying it's a good (laughs) it's well done i'm just saying this is what the rules of the universe are yeah it's it's something that comes back repeatedly so it's definitely something that holds true and accurate for the universe that we're in but yes uh, we have not seen it before um sphinx sphinx where do we rank the sphinx's riddle in jkr's riddle writing bad It's like a word puzzle. It's just a word puzzle. For those of you who don't remember it, it's not good. The rhyming is all right. The rhyming is fine. She's always been fine with that. First, think of the person who lives in disguise, who deals in secrets and tells not but lies. Next, tell me what's always the last thing to mend, the middle of the middle and the end of the end. And finally, give me the sound often heard during the search for a hard-to-find word. Now string them together and answer me this. Which creature would you be unwilling to kiss? I remember this from the first time I read this book because I tried to figure out the riddle and I was so confused because the last line of it makes you think it's a Dementor. And mm. I was like... I never thought that. At least that's what I thats what I thought. And I thought that, that that's what Harry would immediately think of. So it's weird to me that Harry thinks of a blast-ended screw when... He knows about the Dementor's kiss. I never put that together. And so I was super confused. He also just saw a Dementor, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Also, I never understood... Okay, I just put something together that I've never thought of before now that I'm rereading his thing. He's missing a letter, right? Spy-er, spy-er. Yeah. Um, he doesn't get And then he just the, sounds it out. The middle of middle and but end he do- of the end. And I have never figured out middle of the middle and end of the end. And always the last thing to mend. It's just the letter D. Yeah. I have never figured this out in my life until exactly this moment. It's just not a good riddle. It's a bad riddle. It's a bad riddle. Um, The drawing, however, of the Sphinx is beautiful. Yeah. Um, She's a beautiful lady. Are Sphinxes like a, is there one Sphinx in this universe or are there like 
No idea. We never just, see another one. They're just a type of creature. Okay. We never see another one, but they are in the Monster Book of Monsters as a creature that you learn about. So I don't know. Mm. It seem it seems like it would be odd if there's only one. Did they just send her an owl or like, hey, do you want to come? We'll pay you to come do riddles in our. I mean, we know they've been doing shit in Egypt. Did they pay her? I hope they paid her. I mean, she's the only sentient, fully sentient creature in there that we know of. Uh, Harry does encounter a few other things. Um, Shout out to a very cool spell that was created called the Four Point Spell, which always points north. That's Mm -hmm. actually a a really cool idea for a spell. And I think that it is done very well. Very practical. Totally practical. And I don't think ever used again after this. (laughs) Like if they refuse to have compasses. Might as well have a spell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do love that the Sphinx riddle does not in any way prime Harry for getting attacked by a spider. Nope. Before we get to the end of the task, uh, E, any thoughts about Crumb? Just in general. Um, it's too late in the book, I think, for this to be a red herring. I think that this is done poorly. I'm trying to figure out how to explain this without just being like, the book is racist against him and that's not a good way to foreshadow an evil turn. Mm, I mean, you could just say that. It's like, we have some shit on Karkaroff. There's nothing about Crumb up to this point other than him being from Bulgaria that puts him under any kind of suspicion. And that sucks to me. I mean, and Harry and Cedric both talk about that in the scene they're like this it doesn't make sense we have the thing from the madness scene right where like multiple characters it might just be Hagrid I'm remembering but like going off on how he's a foreigner I'm just like and Ron and Ron thinking that he could have done something but that's mostly Ron being jealous I do think that the thing that Harry thinks makes the most sense within the story right yeah because Harry thinks he could hardly believe what he had just seen Crumb do uh, Crumb surely couldn't have wanted the tri- Triwizard Cup that badly. Like, he thinks that it's actually about the tournament. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because right now, Harry is fully focused on this t- being a task of the tournament. He has no, he's not thinking about the other, he's not thinking about no, the A-plot. he doesn't know that this is part of the A-plot yet. So it totally makes sense that he would think that, even though I think that she, the writer, wants us to think otherwise. I'm, I'm with Harry here. Yeah. So, E, do you want to do you want to talk about your uh, reaction to the end of this chapter? Harry and Cedric, God bless, dumbasses. I mean, that's about <laughs> all there is to say, honestly. Like, it is wild that the author does this one paragraph before murdering Cedric. Yeah. It is so true to both of their characters, yeah. though, for them to be fighting over like, who's going to win. Why? If you know you're going to kill the kid in one page turn, why give him this? Because it shows who he really is, deep down. And it creates a connection for Harry to then ponder on forever, because this is just putting Cedric in the fridge. This is fridging, yeah. Um, we'll probably come back to this at the end of the series, but I've, there's like a fandom post on Tumblr that went around years ago about like the meaning of every death in Harry Potter and like the progression <laughs> and this book starts with the death of a stranger that we don't know and then it goes to a side character that Harry is not very close to but Harry like 
that's Harry's first like real interaction with seeing death firsthand. Yeah. When he can remember it, like not when he was a baby. Uh, Cedric's death is important for Harry's uh, mental health in the yeah. future and lack thereof. There's a specific thing that happens in book five having to do with people who have seen death and Harry needs to have seen death before then. Yeah. There's some other things going on here and it really is just a fridging of Cedric's character, right? Yeah. This whole scene is so that Harry has like extra motivation later on because now he's friends with Cedric, right? And attracted to Cedric and that will be made fun of and there's some homophobia coming in book five but oh good um this scene happens so that Harry and Cedric are 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 even more of friends than acquaintances before he dies yeah but yes they are this scene is very much who they are (laughs) yeah I mean it's a great scene I would have no problems with it if it weren't immediately followed by a fridging I love that they go back and forth um, about who has helped the other more. Yeah. Do you want to just read that whole exchange? Yeah, sure. Uh, Cedric was standing feet from the Triwizard Cup, which was gleaming behind him. Take it then, Harry panted to Cedric. Go on, take it, you're there. But Cedric didn't move. He merely stood there looking at Harry. Then he turned to stare at the cup. Harry saw the longing expression in his, in, on his face in its golden light. Cedric looked around at Harry again, who was now holding onto the hedge to support himself. Cedric took a deep breath. You take it. You should win. That's twice you've saved my neck in here. That's not how it's supposed to work, Harry said. Blah, blah, blah. He gets angry, thinking about Cho. The one who reaches the cup first gets the points. That's you. I'm telling you, I'm not going to win any races on this leg. Cedric took a few paces nearer to the stunned spider away from the cup, shaking his head. No, he said. Stop being noble, said Harry irritably. Just take it, then we can get out of here. Cedric watched Harry, steadying himself, holding tight to the hedge. You told me about the dragons, Cedric said. I would have gone down in the first task if you hadn't told me what was coming. I had help on that too, Harry snapped, trying to mop up his bloody leg with his robes. You've helped me with the egg, we're square. I had help on the egg in the first place, said Cedric. We're still square, said Harry, testing his leg gingerly, blah, blah, blah. I love how the whole time Harry is just- Mopping up his Irritated leg. and annoyed and like- Please just take it so that I can go to the hospital wing. <laughs> also, you're yeah. telling me that they don't know any very basic healing spells? Yeah. That is, the point is, um, Harry has this moment where he envisions himself taking the cup, and then he stops and he looks at Cedric and says, both of us, Harry said, what? We'll take it at the same time. It's still a Hogwarts victory. We'll tie for it. You, you sure? Yeah. Yeah, we helped each other out, haven't we? We both got here. Let's just take it together. Pretty good solution. My boy. If only it weren't a trap. (laughs) Which is so sad because honestly, if it weren't a trap, this would have been great. Yes. This is a good ending to the tournament. Yeah. Is like Hogwarts wins. Not Harry, not Cedric. They split the winnings. They go on to be boyfriends. It's wonderful. Yeah. And instead they get flung into a graveyard. Yeah. What was the... I mean, I guess Crumb was supposed to take Cedric out entirely. Yes was the contingency but i'm very curious what would have happened if harry had successfully convinced cedric to just take it yep i had the same question uh just like damn foiled again or if like harry had been disqualified for putting up red sparks when he considered doing that earlier right like this was all things considered a very fragile plan Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I mean, according to Voldemort's own logic, anybody who hates him, which would have included Cedric, would have worked to resurrect him. Mm. 
it just wouldn't have been the perfect ending that Voldemort wanted. Right. It wouldn't have been symbolic. Yeah. But yeah. it would have worked. And there's some other important things happening with the use of Harry's blood. Which we'll find out in the next yeah. chapter. Yeah. But it still would have worked. So flesh, blood, and bone. Yeah. So like I yeah. said, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pages in the American edition. Yep. That is counting each front and back as a page. And the resurrection of Voldemort takes place in these eight pages. And yeah. the backdoor lore that she pulls on from these eight pages goes through until, like, the very end of the series. So these eight pages and the next section that we'll read, basically, but these eight pages and the resurrection of Voldemort are the linchpin on which the series hangs, in a lot of ways. What a strange potion slash spell that it, it to exist. Yeah. But also, there's a lot of strange magic in this yeah, universe, so it's not the out of the ordinary. That are canon in this universe. This potion is like kind of coherent. Does Wormtail cut off his whole arm? Cause a hand, hand at the wrist. Okay, because at one point it says a finger, and then it—he's missing a finger already. Oh, that's right. Seems like overkill. <laughs> I I have also thought that. Yeah. But it's cooler to give him a magical silver hand than just, like, patch up a bit of his arm with <laughs> yeah. magical silver. <laughs> you can't just take a skin graft. It also is important later. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is there, okay, is there more story about Tom Riddle Sr.? Yes. Okay. Yes. Which, as Zoe pointed out, is a little bit, uh, yeah, what did I, I don't think here? that it's, like, a plot hole, that it's not... The same as the story we no. learn later. I think it's just this is what Voldemort believes and what he is. He basically put together his own life story because he would grow up in, a, in an orphanage. Yeah. So the stuff that you learn later is based on um, pensive memories. Okay. So they are more accurate yeah. than Voldemort's piecing together of his parents. In this universe, they are more accurate. Um, than- <laughs> I also realized that I didn't say something earlier and i think maybe now is a good time to do it as we talk about the resurrection of voldemort which is at the very beginning of these chapters harry is going to bed and he's looking around the room and he sees neville and he has this thought about neville and we didn't talk about this And as we're about to see the resurrection of voldemort maybe this is a good time so harry is Listening to Neville's snores, he felt a rush of anger and hate towards the people who had tortured Mr. and Mrs. Longbottom. He remembered the jeers of the crowd as Crouch's son and his companions had been dragged from the court by Dementors. He understood how they had felt. Then he remembered the milk-white face of the screaming boy and realized with a jolt that he had died a year later. It was Voldemort, Harry thought, staring up at the canopy of his bed in the darkness. It all came back to Voldemort. He was the one who tore these families apart, ruined all these lives. And... First of all, Harry and Neville, be still my, my poor heart. I love them. They should yes. support each other more. I wish that he was able to say this out loud. Um, but instead, he's a 14-year-old teenage boy. Yeah. Um, who doesn't have any emotional awareness. Or does, but doesn't want to Yeah, he doesn't act on his emotional <laughs> awareness. The thing that I wrote that I think is really important to recognize, so I, I'm just going to read what I wrote here. Harry's realization that it all comes back to Voldemort is both very true and very untrue. Muggle hatred, a.k.a. white supremacy, doesn't stem from one person, but that one person can channel it into something way, way worse. So for Harry saying, well, it's all just because of Voldemort, that's not true. 
Like there were people who hated muggles and muggleborns before Voldemort. We've seen that in the lore pages that JKR has written. However, without Voldemort, maybe it wouldn't have fomented into what it did. And that's, I mean, like directly related. I mean, I said, AKA white supremacy for a reason here, right? Like given American, Canadian and international politics right now, there are single people and single movements that are fomenting this hate and that are causing it to get worse. And so from there, you, you can see where he's coming from, but yeah. it's not exactly correct. Yeah. But it is a very, yeah. like, you know, 14-year-old take that has a lot of intelligence to it, right? Yeah. He's recognizing that it's not just the fault of this kid who he saw in a memory in a courtroom being, basically being given the death sentence at 19. Right. Yeah. And he recognizes that it's not that kid's fault. Yeah, we, we, we did a disservice to Neville by not talking about sorry, Neville at Neville. the beginning of this. And I am sorry, Neville. We love you. We protect you. Sort of circling back to the question I had, and this may not be something that you can answer for me right now, but I am apprehensive that the author is going to work this theme of parent-child relationships so far that we're going to end up with the conclusion that Voldemort became evil because he had a shitty dad. No. Okay. Nope. <laughs> don't worry For about that. For a second, that. I was really worried that I was going to have to say yes, but no, you don't have to worry about that. Uh -huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because. And it's also not because he had a shitty mom. Yeah. Yeah. No. It is made extremely clear that he was a sociopath from the start. Okay. Good. Yeah. Because. The the part of the monologue about his childhood was like, eee. It's not internally accurate to the story that comes later for rewriting your own history kind of reasons, but you mm -hmm. do not have to worry about that. Okay, good. I just want to say the people who have had genuinely abusive childhoods in this story, like Harry has, are the only ones who ever comment on it. Yeah. So that's, you don't have to worry about that. That's a relief. Um, because, I mean, there's a lot of parent-child stuff. Throughout the series, and especially going on in this climax. Yes, and that, will, that conversation will definitely be continuing through all of yeah. the books, but not in a way that's like your parents decide what you right. become. No. And in fact, the opposite. <laughs> there, is, uh, there is a very important character whose parents are horrible. Um, and you'll find that that's, that does not define, define them in any way, shape, or yeah. form. I mean, because so far what we've seen is kind of the opposite, right? Right. We've seen Dudley and the Dursleys. Mm -hmm. We've seen Harry compared to James and Lily. We've seen Draco Malfoy. Yeah, that's what it seems like right now. But uh, like so, I would like Ron and all of the Weasleys as like carbon copies of their parents. Yeah. So so far, what we see is kids turn out the same as their parents. So I'm curious as to where that goes. There are some things that stay that way, but in the way that like teenagers are shaped by growing up with their parents and not in the way of like, you were born from a bad person, therefore you are bad. Or you were born from a good person, therefore you are good. Yes, but I, I would say that you wouldn't see, well, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> there is a particular character who goes, I wouldn't say evil, but who is characterized very interestingly in the future who comes from a quote-unquote fantastically good family we will we will get to that interesting i do not know who you're talking about but i believe you i will dm you it's 
you're gonna oh yeah yeah obviously uh (laughs) i was trying i was thinking too small okay anyway (laughs) anyway uh weird baby weird baby oh oh wait 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 wait, wait, before we get there harry still hasn't seen the curse his eyes were closed when cedric died yes and as a baby he doesn't really remember all he sees is a flash of green light yes again all he sees is a flash of green light here also but it does count as him seeing death it does he looks directly into cedric's eyes which i think is he sees him extremely dead it is also possible that what happens in book five is also because as a baby he saw his dead parents although yeah but then he should have already been seeing it before that so anyway we'll get to that in book five also there's a weird color thing that has always intrigued me throughout these books and that you should keep in mind now because i am interested in it not because anybody Mm -hmm. else is perhaps which is that green is bad and red is good yeah which is the opposite of every other story which is also interesting because there's a lot of red in the yeah, description the of red this eyes, the Voldemort, like, always yeah. describes having these, like, red slit eyes. Like, red, the red uh, blood, the red, like, color of the potion. And the red, ugly mm-hmm. baby thing. Yeah, the right? baby is red. But then Expelliarmus, the spell, is red. Yeah. And that's a really important spell for Harry, as you'll see later I mean, on. Gryffindor is and red. Gryffindor is red, and Slytherin is green, and Avada Kedavra is green. And huh. this is always something that has intrigued me. Somehow never even made Because that in every other story, red is the bad color, right? I don't know anything about Star Wars, but as I understand it, the red lightsaber, <laughs> bad. Red lightsaber, bad. Red lightsaber, bad. Green lightsaber, good. Green lightsaber, good, right? Like, but this is swapping it, and I, I find that really fascinating. So just something to look out for in the future, because I think that this is particularly interesting. Is that something that is, no, equally symbolized in the book as in the films? Because I know mm-hmm. I've seen... It is always explicitly described. Okay. Also, if any fans or listeners out there have any color theory commentary, I would love to hear it because I think that this is a really interesting flip and I don't know why it's color there. symbolism. Yeah. Anyway. Villain speech of exposition. Yeah. Part uh, one. <laughs> I hate this. Actually, can we just... Can we go back to Cedric for one second? The description of his dead body is really powerful. The way that Harry sees it as, a, as, a, as an empty house, I think yes. is well-written and important for Harry. And I just wanted to quickly call attention to, the, to that. Like, Cedric's death is so poorly written, right? They become besties, they take the cup together, and then he immediately dies. We're, we're, we're shoving Cedric in the fridge, right? We are absolutely yeah. doing the bad thing of, like, the uh, love interest <laughs> is killed to further the main character's goal. This yeah. character like exists in this book only to die. To become friends with Harry and then die. But I do think the description of his body and moving forward, the description of Harry's memories of him are really well done. Yeah. Okay. Um, exposition time. Exposition time. Slimy, ugly, blind purple, basically fetus. There's some weird anti-abortion thing description happening here. Oh my god. Do you remember when there was an anti-abortion, like, ad that used the Voldemort from the movie? There sure was. Baby Voldemort thing from from one of the movies as, yep. That's 
extremely funny. I sure hope that's not what a baby looks <laughs> yeah. like. In any case, it is almost exactly the description of those fake fetuses that you see on pro-life signs. Yeah. It looks like basically if you take an image of a fetus from a medical textbook and make it just, that's it. That's what it is. So you don't need to dwell on it. I don't think. Um, let's see. Uh, bone of the father unknowingly given. You will renew your son flesh of the servant willingly given. You will revive your master blood of the enemy forcibly taken. You will resurrect your foe. Do you think Wormtail wrote that poem? No, I think Voldemort did. Pretty sure it's a spell that Voldemort yeah, invented. Yeah, I think this is a spell and a potion that Voldemort invented. Yeah. I mean, it's very specific. It's extremely specific. This isn't just like a formula for a potion. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely... This is designed for Voldemort and for Voldemort alone. If this was written by an author that was competent and we uh -huh. liked, I would be very curious to learn more about the lore behind like creating spells and creating magic and creating yeah there's some great fandom content around that i'm sure that jkr maybe has done some of that and i don't yeah really i care, don't want but... to see it <laughs> well you'll hear about a different person who creates spells yeah you'll hear about two of them actually but not the actual mechanics of it not the mechanics and in the fandom i will say i haven't read any that are specific to the mechanics just like occasionally I'll come across a fic where like, I don't know, Hermione is a spell tester or Harry is a spell tester. Mm. It's usually one of those two. I just want to know the science behind it. No, <laughs> Let me into a magical theory course, but not ever written by J.K.R. No. Okay. Uh, thin man stepped out of the cauldron, whiter than a skull with wide livid scarlet eyes and a nose that was as flat as a snake's with slits for nostrils. The Lord Voldemort had ridden, risen again. Durr. Do you think he intended to come out looking, like, different than fully human? I don't no. think so. I think this is how he looked before. I think it's, I think it's, well. Really? No, uh, it is not how he looked before. Before he but, died? Um, it is explicitly not how he looked before he died, oh. no. He was physically changing, but he was not, right. like, he yes. wasn't, his nose was not disappearing and things like that. Like, <laughs> this probably has a lot to do with the fact that he basically used snake venom to become alive. I think it's the snake venom. It's the fact that his soul was, like, possessing snakes a lot before that. Yeah. I don't think it applies here nearly as much as it does to, like, Moody. But I am still, like, low-level thinking about evil equals ugly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Voldemort is never described as ugly or twisted or anything. He is just described as snake-like. described as ugly later <laughs> and cold. on. But I, I think it's pretty clear that his appearance is, like, fear-inspiring. Yeah, I think also the time he is described as ugly, it is done as an insult to his face. And it is not meant to be serious. I mean, he's, like, he's not ugly in a way that regular people are ugly. No. Like, this doesn't, this isn't just how... He is a, an ugly fantasy character like this isn't just a way that people look sometimes this is yeah. beyond that so it's not as bad as the moody stuff but it is still perpetuating the ugly equals bad yeah the ugly is evil is is real strong here and will continue to be real strong the more death eaters you meet yay also the stupid as ugly as as evil uh-huh with uh speaking of meeting death yeah eaters. of meeting death eaters you see both crab and goyle here yeah, Papa Crab and Papa Goyle are here. Papa Crab and Papa Papa Coyle. Pa <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Yes, they are here. As well as Mr. Malfoy. Uh, Mr. Malfoy Mr. sure Malfoy is here. Mr. Malfoy only. There is a lot of fanfic written about that dynamic. It's. A, I mean, I'm I'm talking from the perspective of Draco Harry Fick, right? So there's, of course. yeah, there's some differences here, but there's a lot of like, was her name is Narcissa, evil or not, in it or not, for it or not, etc. Yeah, I have many thoughts. Same, about, about I that can't myself. wait. Ooh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Dark Mark, we're like we're going bit by bit here because we kind of have to. Like things are happening every like two sentences, and it is so dense. We talked about the Dark Mark and the fact that it's like just been growing darker because Voldemort is getting closer to having a body again. But here you see he can touch one, and it it flares on everybody's arm. Yeah. Um. So they feel it, and then they can apparate to. I guess it also acts as a GPS wherever he is. Does. Corporeal Voldemort have a mark? No. No. Definitely not. That's why he has to press someone else's mark. He wouldn't... He would not brand himself. Yeah. He's the one who does the branding. He is the leader of the cult. Very explicitly in this chapter. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, there are how many... How many Death Eaters do you think are in the circle? Because we see how many holes there are in the circle. As he goes well, like person by it person. It is said specifically that about 30 show up. Yeah. So my question is... There's no way... That there are only 30. We hear about, you know, one who has run and one who has left our fold forever, right? There were also hundreds uh, at the Quidditch World Cup. But I, my answer is there's at some point where I can't remember when they were talking about the mark. I think it's later. It's inner circle only, right? He marked his inner circle and then everyone else is like followers of the Death Eaters, basically. Right, 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 right. It's like a, it's a, it's a pyramid. It is a pyramid scheme. Okay. Okay, that took me a second Does to remember. the author... I love it when you start questions like this. So, from this scene, I mm-hmm. get shadowy cabal conspiracy vibes. Okay. Which has vibes as yeah. a trope. Yes. Is that... Am I overthinking this? I don't know what you're talking it's about. It's not a cabal. It's a cult. So, the idea of a... Shadow, like a gr- a small group of people pulling all the strings, working from the shadows, is a trope with a lot of explicitly and implicitly anti-Semitic oh, background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is a cult. This is a cult. Okay, and it is, I think, made clearer to be a cult later on. You just happen yeah. to be seeing the top level of the pyramid scheme. I think it's also pretty clear in this chapter when you look at the way he talks about himself. Like, there's a specific part of his speech where he says something about being favored by fate. Yeah, really strong cult language. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about that. Um, I want to mention a uh, potential plot hole, Zoe. We, we can't talk about this. Yeah. I, I one. love it when we do this to E. I'll just be over <laughs> here screaming. When he's at the beginning, near the beginning of his speech after everyone has arrived, uh, this is on page 562 of the British edition. Uh, And I ask myself, how could they have believed I would not rise again? They who knew the steps I took long ago to guard myself against mortal death. And he mentions it again later. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's pretty explicitly said in book six that uh, his followers did Um, not know. I think that they they probably knew about like him looking for immortality. Yeah, I think they know that he's going for immortality because I don't think he hides that. And I think that probably he's done enough generic research, shall we say? That's what I, that's what I always assumed. It's just that this is not worded correctly Mm -hmm. then because it says they who knew the steps I took. 
So they specifically, in this case, he's saying that they know exactly what steps he took. Anyway, it's not important right now. There's no way that they know the exact steps that he took. Yeah. based on things that happen later. I mean, if you if you take what we know from later that the the followers do not know what he is actually doing. This is him just being like, "Why didn't anyone come find me when you knew I was trying to f- be immortal?" but not like Yeah. N- yeah. Which doesn't make any sense. It's it's too Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But I think that that is what he's saying is like you know how much I wanted to be immortal and you know how powerful I am and to think that I wouldn't have been able you to... should have assumed that I yes, succeeded. Yes, I think that that's what he's supposed to be saying if you take the later books into effect, but it's not what he's saying here. Mm-hmm. And that's something for you to keep in mind, E. Thanks. Um, <laughs> is part of this at any point that certain high-ranking Death Eaters would also become immortal or was it only ever for him? That's a good question. Because I'm, I'm trying to I figure don't out think... what the cult is like what are they being promised other than a world without muggles in it power they're they're running the entire ministry of magic being able to torture people for fun having power over others it is entirely a cult of power okay yeah i don't think there's ever any suggestion that he would give immortality to anyone else okay absolutely not like trying to get into the headspace of people who like join up like what are they invested in this for why do they come back Killing muggles, power. Yeah, just doing murders. Power, torture, and also being, once they once they show some interest, they can't back away because they're terrified of mm-hmm. him. Yeah. So Fun. it's a trap. It is absolutely a trap, as all pyramid schemes are. If you know somebody who is involved <laughs> in a direct sales experience, please work with them to try and get them out of that the city. multi-level <laughs> marketing plots of Lord Voldemort. Right. <laughs> anyway. We get a recap. We do. Of his last 14 years. Yeah. Mostly focusing on book one because he doesn't know about anything that happened in book two. And, and barely knows about anything in book three except that Wormtail shows up. Yeah. This, I hate this monologue. Like, I know it's useful plot information. It's very useful plot information. It is essential plot information. But it is a villain monologue. Yeah. It is. It's a villain monologue and not even an interesting one. Who is he telling? The leaders don't know his story. Like, I guess. I don't think, I, I, I imagine that half of them are not really listening. They're too scared of what's going to happen next to, like, actually learn anything from this monologue. To be fair, Lucius Malfoy actually explicitly asks him. Yeah, like, this would be... Oh, that is true. I could imagine a reframing of this. Where he's just talking to Lucius. It's actually much more interesting if that's true. And that would be interesting. That could be like kind of in a conversation. Like it would be a monologue, but like for someone specifically. Yeah, Lucius is not as high up as he thinks he is. Yeah. But also he's still really high up. Like there's there's some issues happening here that will come to light in the next few books. But yeah. he imagines himself to be real high up in this organization. And I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that is exactly true while still being also, true. Also, Voldemort shuts it down immediately when he... Yeah. Like, yeah, like the way this monologue is written, like nobody is the recipient of this. Harry is. Yeah. But we don't get cut-ins of Harry's reactions. No, like, we, we don't. don't get That's true. anyone responding to this. We get like 
two sentences of like the death eaters look awkward oh that's such a good point but it's just paragraphs and paragraphs of monologue yeah let me see how many pages this is we don't get harry processing this information we don't get yeah any reactions from anyone it is literally five and a half pages in the american edition and that's front and back of pure voldemort monologue this also stems back to my issues with this plot as a whole which Mm -hmm. is like the reader knows half of this already or has put it together yeah this could be way shorter there's not a need to have most of this you could do a lot less and let us put it together when this book came out and my parents were like oh my god there's another one and it's huge (laughs) this is all she's gonna read for forever now i remember my mother telling me like oh this looks like it could have used a better editor it's just so big. And my mother was reading them. I would read it and then she would read it. And mm-hmm. I remember that that comment didn't go away, right? Like, oh, this really could have used a better editor. And at the age <laughs> that I was, and as the fan that I was at the time when I was, when did this book come out? I read this one when I was nine um, or 10. This book came out in 2000, so I was 10. At 10 years old, I was like, no, this is amazing. I want more. Double yeah. the length. But the older I got, the more I agree with my mother, which is this book would have been improved with an editor who was allowed to edit. Yeah. And this is the first time that the editor didn't edit, right? Books one, two, and three, there was a lot of editing because essentially J.K.R. was an unknown author. And by book four, after taking a couple of years off, right, or a year off, basically, um, having a baby, going in the limelight, you know, there's a movie contract now. An editor's not going to edit because she's famous. Right. She can do what she wants. Exactly. And this book really would have been so much better if the editor had just not done that and said, like, okay, we're just going to keep editing the way we have. Yeah. I mean, the level of tightness between book three and book four is wild. Book three is tight. On another note, I want to read the um, Voldemort vague posting about uh the mystery of the story agent in hogwarts (laughs) and here we have six missing death eaters three dead in my service one too cowardly to return he will pay one who i believe has left me forever he will be killed of course and one who remains my most faithful servant and who has already re-entered my service (laughs) there is no reason to be vague there's no reason for none of them to be named he named everyone else he was passing that like every other missing death eater that he was passing yeah so we know we know one of them the person who has left don't his, no <laughs> don't explain any of it <laughs> we'll talk about it in the next section yeah we'll leave it till the book makes it clear um okay well so skip five pages later um there's a really really important point that uh adela raises in your notes here um and i would like to read it for the audience Uh, Voldemort, so desperate to prove that he is stronger than a 14-year-old boy. Extremely desperate. Yeah, and never does anyone in any of the books comment on that. And I guess it's because it's a YA series and we expect YA protagonists to be, like, powerful and special. But it is very clear in this book, this is Voldemort just ranting and talking about a kid who he talks about when he was 11 thwarting him. He talks about when he was a baby thwarting him. And it's like, now I will prove that I am stronger than him by giving him his wand and fighting him to the death. Like, like motherfucker, this kid is 14 and wasn't going to even be allowed in this tournament because he did not know enough magic. <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't, 
the things that happen later also don't help that, but it is a YA series where the protagonist is special. So, you know, but yeah, very, very important point that Adela raises here that I just wanted to put that there. So also he performs the Cruciatus Curse on... On Harry. So Harry experiences that. Yeah. Uh, This is not the last time uh, that he experiences that, which is... Poor boy. I'm going to read the actual line that Adela may have been referencing because it's just so good, which is, and now I am going to prove my power by killing him here and now in front of you all where there is no Dumbledore to help him and no mother to die for him. I will give him his chance. He will be allowed to fight and you will be left in no doubt which of us is stronger. My dude. He's so worried that people will think he's weak because he's been defeated by a child. So he's like, I have to prove that this child cannot defeat me again. It is kind of public sentiment that Harry Potter is like, the chosen one. Yeah, but nobody, nobody, everyone sees that as Harry being super amazing and strong. Harry is the chosen one and everyone focuses on that and not focuses on the fact that Voldemort was defeated by a child. Yeah, that's actually an important point because even later on... Like, no one sees that as Voldemort being weak. Everyone sees it as Harry being strong. And to the point where, like, grown adult wizards who are extremely powerful are still terrified of Voldemort and of his followers. Yeah. So it's not like people, especially his Voldemort's foes, are thinking that he's weak. Like, they know that Voldemort is strong and terrifying. Voldemort is the only one who thinks and is worried about being weak. And so he has to prove it to himself. Which I will say, common feature of fascist ideology. Like, gotta always prove that you're the strong one to any kind of threat of any kind, including children. Yes, this is a subtweet about American politics. So we end this section with now untie him Wormtail and give him back his wand. Yes. We're going to have a fight. We did leave you on a bit of a cliffhanger. (laughs) Time to just stew on that one for a couple weeks. Yeah. I mean, Harry does have plot armor, so like, it can't go that bad. (laughs) It's true. There are three more books, so. (laughs) Surprise E, the rest of the books are not about Harry. (laughs) Although they are still called Harry Potter. They're about Neville now. Gotta stick with the brand. They're about Neville. I want to end by just going back to a a sort of general sentiment that you had at the end of your little live blog, which was, wow, I hate this. You want to talk like just generally about where these chapters left you? This is entirely a feature of reading this book way too slowly, right? Is that I have so much time to think about the sort of meta parts of the experience of reading this book, right? Because if I just sat down and went through this in two days, I would not be thinking about how the middle section did not set up the ending. Or I would not be thinking about how how bad this monologue is because I would just read it and be done. Or I would not be like so jaded by the house elf stuff because I would just be through with it. But sitting and simmering on this book, because I think of how long it is and how often the author returns to like certain things, like if she had you know, worked with an editor and trimmed down this book. There would probably be a lot less Rita Skeeter. Mm -hmm. There would probably be a lot less Winky. There would probably be no random uh, racism and xenophobia. (laughs) um, Like, the Voldemort stuff would be foreshadowed, like, sprinkled back through more competently. But because that 
didn't happen. And, you know, because we're taking it at this pace, I just don't enjoy this. The enjoyment that I get from the scenes that are good is so far outweighed by my frustration at the things that are bad. Yeah, that's fair. And because I have no nostalgia carrying me through it, I just, I'm not enjoying, like, I'm enjoying the podcast. Like, I like talking about it. But I. this is not a book that you would sit down and reread, for instance. I would not read this book again. Would you, you didn't love book three, but you did like the movie. I have a lot of problems with book three, but I would read book three again. Okay. I think it's the only one so far. Interesting. Maybe book one, but just because of how much I like the ending. Like the. And also, sometimes rereading the start of a series is interesting. Yeah. Also, I said at the end of book three that I was probably never going to reread these books again. But actually, this experience of reading it slowly and also not enjoying reading it slowly for different reasons than E, <laughs> me because I'm impatient and want to, I want to get to the next part that I know is going to happen, is making me more not interested, but like open to the idea of potentially rereading it faster in the future. Yeah, rereading yeah. it like normally. Yeah, it would almost be interesting, not that I'm suggesting that we do this, but it would be almost interesting to, when we finish the entire series, do like one final read through where we do, yeah, like seven episodes in a row, one book each. That actually is a really good idea that we should put in our ideas channel. (laughs) We'll do that. Yeah. I don't know if we'll want to do it by then, but... We'll see. We'll see how sick of us we are by then. (laughs) I can't believe there are three more books and they're all long. Uh, they are some of my favorite books, yeah. so I'm excited well, about it. But anyway. at least one of you said that about this one. Yep. Um, <laughs> I so this is also just a funny thing. I always assumed that the fourth book was the longest because of the longer books. This is my most paged through and read book, and so it looks the longest. So it's kind of got like the most spread out. Whatever. The book is all the book is all fluffy. Yeah. Uh, book six looks brand new. <laughs> so does book seven. I'm just gonna just gonna put that out there. At a certain point, I, I well, for one thing, I would reread the entire series before this the next book came out, right? And then the later books came out, yeah. and I didn't do that as often. I mean, that's similar. My my fifth book is the most worn out book because it is the one that I read the most because it is my favorite. My third book is completely just so destroyed. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, I'm really, really, really interesting to hear how we may change our rankings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Any last thoughts, E, as we move into the second half of the climax? So we have two sections left, right? Correct. And the next section yeah. is basically the end of the climax. We get the next big villain monologue and that's it. And then we move into sort of the denouement. Yeah. Next section, you finally get the brainworm. Yeah. Oh, wait, you guys need to like go back through this book. Oh my god, the, the wrap up <laughs> episode for this one, y'all. We are going to be going like point by point. <laughs> Thirty different things that you guys have brought up during the course of this book. That's like I can't say this till the end, and I want them. Don't all- worry. As soon as you learn it, you are going to know, and the brain were like, yeah. Yeah, don't worry. But yeah, as we go into the next half of the climax, do you have any hopes or dreams <laughs> about what is to come? Have, has the book crushed all of your hopes and dreams yet? I would like it to be over. Well, good news. We're getting real close. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to read along with us, we'll be reading the second half of this climax 
which is uh, a little bit shorter. It is two chapters, Priori Incantatum and Veritaserum. We will read those two chapters. They're pretty short, but again, pretty packed. And then we will have one last section, as we said, with the denouement. Um, so please, if you have questions that you would like us to do for the book four rundown, please send them to our Twitter. If they have spoilers, please send them to our Tumblr. Or if you have our uh, Discord uh, DMs, you can DM myself or Adela. I have been Zoe. You can find me on Twitter at Zoe Topaz, Z-O-E-T-O-P-A-Z. And buy my book, Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever books are sold. I have been E. You can find me at C-E-L-1-0-E on Twitter. I am Adela. You can find me on Twitter at Airedel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore. And you can buy my games, which uh, I changed the name of my store on itch. So it's wilderflower.itch.io. Shout out to Adela's amazing Kickstarter, which we have linked in previous episodes. If you didn't get a chance to back that Kickstarter, then go find stuff on her itch. Um, and support some great games. The PDF will be there soon. If you have questions, you can find us on Twitter and Tumblr at Potternot. You can find more music by our fantastic composer, Morgan Jackson, at we did the time warp again.bandcamp.com. And we look forward to our next episode. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.